So as we begin this morning, 1.46 billion is what? Is it the amount of money that's going to be spent today on commercials for the Super Bowl? Will it be the number of chicken wings that are eaten today? Or will it be the number of people who tune in for the halftime show? What do you think? A. A is the, the amount of money spent for, on, on ads today. Who, this is an all play. Who thinks A? Okay, all right, all right. Who thinks B, the number of chicken wings? And who thinks C, the... Uh, it's B. It's B, the number of chicken wings. I am so excited uh, for, for Super Bowl today because I get to watch the Super Bowl today at 5 in the afternoon, not at 7 o'clock in the morning like we did in Hong Kong. And I watch it in my flat, and you're eating chicken wings and, and nachos and stuff like that at 7 o'clock in the morning. You know, it's like, yeah, but it, something's missing there. It's just, and if, we, if I wanted to find a place where I could watch the game with others, it would end up being a pub someplace in, in Hong Kong, and a lot of times they weren't even open, and you probably didn't want to watch it there either. So, hey, I'm excited, though, about diving in on our new series on Psalm 23. And we're looking at the Lord is my shepherd. We're going to be in this series from now until the end of March. And really tearing apart what it, what it means for the shepherd, what it means for God to be our shepherd. Because here's what's cool about this. We know that God loves us, but what we're going to find out over the next eight weeks is how deeply, deeply he cares for us. Because sometimes we forget, or sometimes we don't think that God cares for us as much as what he really does. And that's what we're going to be seeing over the next couple of weeks. And just like we did in our last series, if you are a visitor with us, you get a pass on this one, and I'm actually going to have really a lot of grace on you today. What we do is we're learning a scripture verse that goes along with every sermon series that we, that we do. And our, sermon, our scripture verse for this sermon is Psalm 103, Psalm 100, verse 3. Now, I know some of you are wanting to know this because you called my secretary this weekend. What's that, what's that passage scripture that, that you wanted or that we're supposed to learn? So where the grace comes in today is we're not going to take away any words. We're just going to show you the sermon. We're going to show you the scripture. We're going to walk, walk with it over once. But then over the next eight weeks, we're really going to look at this. And what I would really like for you is to, what does it mean? Know that the Lord is God. And he made us. We are his and we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. What does that mean? And we're going to find out in a powerful way. So would you read that, our, our scripture memory verse for this time? Both the Lord is God. It is He who made us, <clears throat> and we are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. Today we look at verse 2. And it said, It says, He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. You see, there's several things that we're going to learn about the shepherd during this time. And a shepherd with his sheep. And one of the things that the shepherd needed to instill in his sheep was the lack of fear. Sheep are incredibly afraid of everything. We're going to talk more about that in a minute. But he needed to rid them of the fear that they would have, have in their flock. And he also needed to give them the ability to rest. There's a real reason why sheep need to rest. And he needed to provide them with water, with good water. Because sheep will drink out of anything. They'll drink out of a dirty hoof print if they have an opportunity. But the shepherd know, knows that his sheep need, they need two things. They need to rest and they need to drink from proper water. And that's what we're going to be looking at. The, the, loss, the, the absence of fear. You can have stuff going on all around you. But in the presence of the shepherd, 
he dispels the fear. So what are you afraid of? So you say, I'm not afraid of nothing. I got a hunch every single one of us, there's something. I have a hunch that a few of you would be afraid of public speaking. Mm-hmm. Some of you are deathly afraid of spiders. I've heard some of you guys scream, yeah, yeah. <laughs> some of you are afraid of flying. Others of you I know are afraid of, of snakes. I'm married to a lady who does not like snakes. When my oldest son Andrew was, I don't know if he was even a year old, we were in Bible college, and I was studying, and somebody given us a bag of clothes, and Andrew's grubbing around in those clothes, and all of a sudden I hear this, and I look over, and he's got a snake in his hand, on either hand, and he's chewing on it in the middle. And I'm like, where'd this snake come from? And, and so I went over there, it's a rubber snake. He loved that snake. I mean, he was teething, and he would chew on this snake, and and we got a few looks. We weren't in the ministry yet, and we were, we'd take him to church, and if he'd start to squalor a little bit, we'd just hand him the snake, and boy, these women that would look at us like, what are you doing giving your kid a snake? But he loved it. It was great for teething. It was really good for teething. Well, he grew out of that. Number two child came along. Number three child came along. Number four child came along, and he walked through kind of the same thing as number one son. And uh, we had to try and figure out, okay, so what do we do to help him out? Let's get another snake. So we got another snake. He loved it. Again, just, just loved chewing on this snake. I mean, it's good for teething. I mean, if you can, don't mind snakes, it's good for teething. But not everybody liked it. <laughs> we put it in his diaper bag when he went into the nursery. <laughs> mm. The lady comes out like this. Don't ever bring this into the nursery again. She said, I am deathly afraid of snakes. She said, I don't even like to see pictures of snakes. You know what I'm afraid of? This. Bridges? No. I'm afraid of heights. I'm big time afraid of heights. Two things, two real big things. Heights and closed in spaces. And I, like an MRI? Mm-hmm. I mm, don't like an MRI. But the, sand, the Golden Gate Bridge is beautiful. If you've ever been there, it's really, really high off the water. And you walk on it, and it kind of it sways around on you. When that bridge was built in the 1930s, it was built in the early 30s, it was a monumental task. And there were guys from all over the country came because there was no work. There was no work. It was at the height of the Depression. And people came, and they worked on it. Incredibly dangerous. This is a $35 million project at this time. Think about how much that would cost today. But there was a dark little secret behind the cost of this bridge. Because it was estimated that for every million dollars it cost to build this bridge, one life would be lost. In the first phase alone of the bridge, they lost 23 lives. 23 men perished, fell to their death. The project manager, a guy by the name of Joseph Strauss, decided that he was going to spend the audacious sum of $130,000 to put a net all the way underneath the Golden Gate Bridge and then cant it out 10 feet on either side as well. What that did for the morale of the men, they, they worked a whole lot faster, they got the job done because why? They, they weren't afraid. They, they weren't afraid because they knew if they fell. In fact, 19 men did fall in that time. And they were called the halfway to hell group because they, they'd fallen. They feel, felt like they had cheated death. But they took away the fear. 
And as you're going to hear at the end of the sermon, that led to another problem that they had. But I'll tell you that rest of the story when we get there. But it took away the fear. In the midst of all that was going on, they could do the work that they needed to do because they knew that there was a net underneath them. And our shepherd, in the midst of all that is going on, because we just sang the song, It is well with thy soul. I have a hunch that all is not well with all of our souls, is it? There's stuff that's eating your lunch today, that's just going on in, in your life today, and you would say, this is really, really troubling me. But the presence of the shepherd in the midst of those drives out the fear. You see, sheep, he says, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. Sheep need four things to be able to lie down. They need the absence, they, they need to have, to have their bellies filled. The second thing they need is they need to be free of, of thirst. The third thing they need is to be free of pests. And the pests come in a number of... Sheep are susceptible to... Okay, just i got to stop here. Show of hands. Anybody here dealt with sheep in the past? One? Two, okay. Because normally I get like a whole bunch. And you know, sheep are susceptible to any number of diseases and pests, especially one that really bothers them. It's the bot fly. The bot fly goes around the nose of the, of the animals. It doesn't matter if it's cats or dogs, whatever. Bot flies are really a nuisance because what they do is they lay eggs in the mucous membranes of the nose. And, and yeah, it's, it's not good. And when the larvae hatch, they burrow into the brain, literally driving, the, driving that, that sheep insane. And so the shepherd needs to watch, and he needs to put a, usually a balm or a salve on the nose to prevent the bot flies from crawling up in their nose. But the fourth one is, is they need to be free of predators. And the shepherd, before he goes out, before he takes his sheep to pasture, he will look to make sure that there's no predators. He knows that they're there. But he watches over his sheep. This is days before dogs and things like that. But he watches over his sheep to make sure that the predators don't come in to buy the sheep. And it says there that he makes me to lie down. That almost sounds like he's forcing me down. The way it's written there in the Hebrew, it's, it's written this way. I am caused to lie down. Because of the presence of the shepherd, I am caused to lie down. It isn't that those things aren't there. In our, in our lives, in our worlds, there are going to be things that are just going to absolutely eat our lunch. There are going to be things that scare us. But the presence of the shepherd and the fact that God is at work in our lives and that he is real in our lives and that he really cares about us has the ability to dispel fear in our lives. It has the ability. Whether or not we allow it to is another question. Because sheep have no natural defense. The only defense that a sheep has is to run. And it doesn't cause a sheep much to run. I was reading a story, a funny story about a guy who brought his Pekingese dog to the, uh, I mean, yeah, Pekingese dog to, yeah, to the, uh, to, out to visit a shepherd. The dog jumped out of the car, yip, 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 right after, and 200 sheep just going, just go flying away. It's just a little dog. But sheep have no natural defense except to run. And the shepherd is there to provide an environment where they take away the fear. Because if there's no fear, where there's fear, there's no rest. And we're going to find out that rest is huge for the sheep.
Fear comes in a number of ways in our lives, doesn't it? I think it comes in three major ways. Fear of the unknown, fear of the known, and fear of those things that we know that we need to do, but they scare us to death. Let's talk about the fear of the unknown first. Fear of the unknown, it comes in the form of, of uh, what's going to happen? What's going to happen with or will or, or how are we going to do this? What's going to happen with my kids when they go to university and they're eight right now? Well, what, what's going to happen? What's going to happen in this world? You know, what, what's going to happen with all these balloons clawing over our country? What's going to happen with our government? What's going to happen in our marriage? I mean, we're not getting along right now. What, what's what's going to happen with it? Oh, I got that pain. I wonder, well, wonder what that is. And in those times, fear can do what? Fear always does this. It cripples us, and it takes our eyes off of God. It always does that. And that's why the shepherd comes in and says, don't be afraid. Over and over he says that, don't be afraid. And the question I wonder if we should ask in times like this is not this. What could God do? What could God do in the midst of this, which I don't know? What could God do in the midst of this time? to bring honor and glory to his name, and to draw me closer to him. What about the known? I mean, there are things that we know, things that right now we know of that maybe you have an elderly parent, and you're walking with them through a difficult time, and it's like, Lord, I'm afraid for them. Or you're struggling in your marriage, and you know that there is a deep struggle, and what's going to happen with us? Or you're wondering with your kids, your kids are walking south, and it's like, I don't know how to bring them back. I don't know how to do this. Lord, help me in the midst of this time. Things that scare us. What's going to happen with my finances? I'm struggling right now. What's going to happen there? Am I ever going to be free of this addiction? I'm addicted. Where am I ever going to be free of this? And in those times, the question we may need to ask is this. What will God do? God, what are you going to do in the midst of this time? To draw me closer, but to bring honor and glory to your name. And there are times as well, things that scare us that we know there, we know what we need to do. We just finished a sermon series called Before I Hit Send. And the topic of that sermon was our words and our thoughts. What am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to speak? Whatever is true, whatever is right, and whatever is necessary. Whatever is true, necessary, and right. That's what I'm supposed to speak. Or kind, excuse me. Can't even remember my own stuff. Kind. True, <laughs> necessary, kind. And someone has come away from that sermon series saying, Yeah, there's some stuff I need to do. There's a conversation that I need to have. And I really don't want to have this conversation, but it's a conversation that I need to have. For others of it's uh, as we spoke in that series, there was a there was a relationship that God's tapping you on the shoulder about. I'd like you to bring restoration and healing to that relationship. And it's like, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it because I'm afraid of what's going to happen next. And just being careful, having set up boundaries in that, in that relationship and understanding that sometimes relationships aren't going to be what they were at one time. But we can be civil, can't we? Sometimes it's, it's not restoring a relationship. Sometimes it's ending a relationship. A relationship that God says is wrong. Maybe you are in a relationship as a Christian. You are in a relationship with a a non-Christian. Why does God tap you on the shoulder? Because he knows where that's going. Sometimes, too, in a a marriage, 
Things can, you know, we don't naturally drift together. In a marriage, you, you drift apart. And, and it's subtle. It, it's, it's dangerously subtle how we drift apart in marriages. And as a guy, you're struggling with your wife. And you go to the office and there's a gal there and she, she compliments you on, on the way in which you spoke about something in, in the meeting. She said, you, you, you really did that well. You have a real gift for that, a knack for that. A couple days later, she, after a meeting, she's talking with you and she says, why, that is some amazing cologne that you're wearing there. And you're thinking, when was the last time my wife even recognized that I was wearing cologne? And then you, you, you guys end a meeting, and it's just you and her, and hey, it's lunchtime. Why don't we go do lunch? And lunch turns into a two-hour time of where you just bare your soul. And you find yourself thinking, I wish my wife understood me like she does. And God is saying, that needs to stop. Or you're at the why. You and your husband didn't have the best uh, um, parting as he went to work, and you're on your way to the Y, and you get to the Y, and there's a guy in the elliptical next to you, and you've seen him before, and he just comments on you, hey, you're doing good. I've been seeing you here the last you know, couple weeks here, and you're doing well. You're you know, toning up and doing well. And you kind of take that to heart and think, when was the last time my husband ever noticed me? And a couple days later, you, you, you finish your workout, and and he's there again. And, and he talks to you and, and he, wow, he, he gets me. In fact, he even asked a question of me. I can't remember the last time my husband asked a question of me. And, and he laughs. He laughs at the things that I say. My husband just grunts. Yeah. And all of a sudden you'd be thinking, I wonder what life would be like with him. It is so subtle. Guys, if you are struggling in your marriage, in your relationship with your wife, the last person in the world, and you will hear me say this many times as I'm your pastor, the last person in the world you need to be having a relationship with or spending time with is another woman. You find a man of God. You find a man of God. That's dangerous. Well, ladies, you're struggling with your husband, the last person in the world. I don't care how spiritual they are. The last person in the world you need to be bearing your soul to is another man. That's a recipe for disaster. Please, I, I've been doing this long enough. I've seen the, the damage that it can do. You think it's just a conversation. But it starts so subtly, and maybe there's a relationship that today God is saying it needs to stop. You need to put distance between you and that other person. And maybe it is a hard conversation that you need to have. But the question you need to ask in this situation is, how will I, how will I honor God? How will I honor God by being obedient to what it is that He asks me to do? Because will God give us the strength in those situations to do what is fearful? Yeah. The question is, will we do it? You see, when He says... He makes me to lie down in green pastures. There's something that causes the sheep to lie down. And it's trust. It's trust. 
in your situation right now that you're walking through that's eating your lunch, do you trust God? It's not a question of can you trust God. It's will you trust God? In what you're walking through right now, will you trust God with that and lay that at His feet? Because God knows where there's fear, there's no rest. And the presence of the shepherd dispels fear. But you know, our shepherd provides for us. He provides a place for us. He provides even for that fear. He says in 2 Timothy 1.7, He does not give us a spirit of timidity, but of a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. He didn't give us a spirit of fear. Because fear cripples, and fear takes our eyes off of God. And I love what it says in Isaiah 26, 3 and 4. Isaiah 26, 3 and 4 says, You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord, for the Lord, the Lord is the rock eternal. It's interesting. When you read that verse in Hebrew, they say, He will keep in shalom, shalom, him whose mind is steadfast. Him whose mind is steadfast, grounded in God. Because he trusts in you. And how many times has he mentioned the Lord there in the last phrase? That's there for emphasis. What kind of peace is God offering us? A little bit louder. This is an all play. What kind of perfect peace? It has to be perfect because it's from him. And everything that he gives us is perfect. In the midst of whatever it is that we're going through right now, we have the choice of whether or not we take the peace of God, which Jesus then follows up and says, in John he says, peace I give to you. What kind of peace? My peace I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And the question is, will we take God at that offer? Because that's a gift, just like salvation. Peace is a gift that God gives to us, and we choose whether or not to receive it. And you know, we can be in a place of peace. It says in Psalm 23, verse, er, we can be in a place of peace, and we can have the, the good shepherd around us and still not rest. In 2004, well, that's almost 20 years ago now, 2004, I herniated a disc in my back and had to have surgery. That's where I found out that I didn't like an MRI. Wow. wow. And so had the, had the back surgery, and my DS said, why don't you get away for a little while and, and just, just rest? And I said, that's good. I said, I got four kids that are, it's hard enough to keep them in pork chops, much less, you know, you know go on a vacation. He said, I got just the place for you. He said, one of these guys in my former church, he said, I led to the Lord. His real heart for pastors and missionaries, he said, he's built this place, three different places around the, around the U.S., and he said, he's got homes on this place. He said, they're really nice. And he said, you can go there and you can stay there for nothing. He said, you just bring your own food. And he said, you, you, everything else is for free. And he said, but, he said, when you get there, or he said, when they open the reservation line for it, he said, you got to be there with speed dial on. I mean, this is the old days of the touchtone phone with speed dial. And I was there, I got, was the first one who got in. And they said, they uh, scheduled the dates, and we went there. It's Durango, Colorado. Beautiful. Oh, my goodness, this place was beautiful. And what we'd seen in the brochures was that we'd seen one of the places that was called the Hacienda. And so we stayed at the, we thought, okay, we're staying at the Hacienda. And we got there, and we knocked on the door of the Hacienda, and there's all kinds of people inside. And he said, uh, I think we're supposed to stay here. And they said, no, we're here for the whole week. They said, go down to that house there, and they'll probably tell you where it is you're staying. 
So we go down there, and they said, oh, no, no, no. He said, you're staying at the log cabin. So I'd been looking at Hacienda for, you know, all this time, and I'm thinking, okay, log cabin, three, four rooms. Right, we, we can do that. You know, it's just, just for a week we can do this. They said, just go to the end of the road, and you can't miss it. It's right at the end of the road. Gave us the keys, and away we went. So we get in the car, and we get to the end of the road, and I told Beck, I said, this can't be the place. This can't be. And they said, well, it's at the end of the road. I said, what? This can't be. So we got out of the car, and she goes, try the key in the door. So I tried the key in the door, and it opened the door. A 6,500-square-foot log home. I mean, we're talking palatial, every option known to man. This view, as you looked out, you looked right out over the city of Durango, Colorado, absolutely gorgeous. And the guy comes in, and he's telling us all about the place, and he's getting ready to leave. Oh, he says, make sure at night you take all your garbage. Remember, you went, when you first drove into the place, it was like two miles down the road. He said, you take your garbage down, and you dump it down there. And he said, make sure to close all the, all the lower, lower floor uh, doors and windows and stuff like that, and don't leave any food on your counters. He said, because we have bears. I hate bears. <laughs> you find a lot of them. I, I do not like bears. I mean, we had them in Minnesota. I don't like them. Um, yeah. And we're on the lower floor. The kids are all up in the upstairs part of this place. Every time that motion light came on, it's like, it's a bear. And here I am in this place of incredible rest, incredible beauty, and how much did I sleep? Boom! I, I, I'd be falling asleep during the day because it was during the day that, okay, at least, you know, the kids, will, at least the bear will come for the kids and not for me. You know, some, but, you know, I, I was in this perfect place, and yet I couldn't rest. And some of us are in that perfect place. And we're choosing not to rest. It wasn't that I couldn't rest. I chose not to rest. Because I chose to allow the fear of the bears, which we never saw, to cause me to not rest. He makes me lie down in green pastures. The old phrase, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. He can lead us. He can lead us to that place. We need to choose whether or not I will lie down and I will trust, even when all the other stuff's going on around me. It says that he leads me beside still waters. Got a picture here of some calm water, sheep by calm water. He said he leads me beside the still waters. Sheep won't drink from rushing water. They, they won't. No matter how thirsty they are, they can walk up to a stream that is just roaring by and they're thirsty, but they will not drink because they're afraid. Sheep are afraid that, um, that they'll fall in and their wool will get soaked, but they won't drink. So what does the shepherd do? He'll go out and he'll take rocks and stones and he'll make a dam so that even if the rushing water, the sheep can go up and the water is still and they can drink because the sheep won't drink. The sheep won't drink if the water's roaring by. And the shepherd knows. It, you know, it said he leads. He leads me. Besides, so the shepherd never drives. And God will never force us to do what he wants. 
He will always lead. He will always lead. I remember when my kids were younger. Next week, my, my youngest son comes, and he's the gentle giant of the family. And I can remember walking across the street and him taking my hand, just this little boy, and him taking my hand and grabbing my hand as we walked across the street because he knew that that's what he should do, is to hold my hand as he walked across the street. I about greased somebody on Friday. At, at, uh, we were up in uh, Manitowoc uh, for Valentine's lunch, and uh, we're by the library, and this kid comes flying out right, right there, and it would have been right under the wheel, but, uh, but Mom you know, kind of grabbed him back and pulled him back. I don't know how some kids ever live. But it's just, you know. But my son took my hand because that's what he knew to do. He knew that there was safe. And God says, he leads us beside still waters. He leads us. He leads us. He'll never force. The shepherds, it's incredible. You can have a bunch of shepherds together at a watering hole, all kinds of sheep. And when it comes time to leave, you think, well, you know, you got this tangled up mess. How are you going to get all these sheep? You know, how are you going to know which sheep are yours? Each shepherd has his own call. And they'll call or they'll whistle or whatever they'll do, and the other sheep will pop their heads up, and away they'll trot off with the shepherd. He leads. He leads the sheep. In this day and age, the shepherd led. A lot of times, like in Ireland, Scotland, places like that, they have dogs that will come in behind and will, and will um, drive the sheep. But here in the biblical times, the shepherd led his sheep. And, and it's interesting. He, he leads his sheep. He leads his sheep. Uh, I, I missed something here. I want, I want to go back for a second. He leads them to good pasture. He said, uh, go back, if you will, to the, to the picture of the, of the good pasture. It said, it said, he makes me lie down in green pasture. Israel's climate was the same climate we had when we lived in California. It starts to rain about November and stops raining in February. And then you have this. You have the next picture. You have this, you have, you have dry ground, dry grass. He not only leads us in good times to good places, but does he sometimes also lead us into difficult times? Think about what you're walking through right now. Think about what you've walked through. There are some things in my life that I've walked through. It's like, you couldn't pay me enough money to go back and do that again. But was God there with us? And did we learn some incredible lessons through it? Oh, yeah. I think some of you are your cancer survivors. Would you want to walk through that again? No, but what did you learn about God during that time? Some of you walked through difficulties at work or in a marriage. And you look back on it, and you see how God has led and how faithful that God has been. The same shepherd who leads us to green pastures is also the same shepherd who's leading you right now in difficult times as well. It said he leads us, he leads us beside the, the still waters. The shepherd knows where, where to get the good water from. Because again, sheep will drink out of just about anything. Now, like I said, that you know, a, a muddy old hoof print, they'll drink right out of it. But the shepherd knows that he wants his sheep to drink from good water. And so he leads them to that place. And God knows that we have needs, doesn't he? All of us have the need to be loved. 
We have the need to have a sense of purpose in our lives. We have a, have a need to be approved and cared for. But when we go seeking that outside of what it is that God desires, it'll always leave us thirsty. It, it says in God's Word, in Psalm 42, what we read this morning, is the deer pants for streams of water. So my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? There, there's, a, there's a thirst and there's a longing in our heart that only God can satisfy. That, that need for approval, that need for love, that need for a sense of purpose in this world. And when we go looking for that outside of God, it will always leave us thirsty. It will always leave us empty. We read in John 7.37, it said, On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood up in a loud voice and said, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. If anyone. I wonder today, how thirsty are we? And what is it that we've been using to satisfy the thirst, that deep thirst of our heart that only God can meet? That sense, that need for approval, that need for purpose, that need for love. What are we using to satisfy the thirst? If God is not the one that is satisfying that, it will always leave us empty. Always. And Matthew 5, 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be what? Filled. Blessed. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. But Jeremiah Jeremiah 2, verse 13 says, My people have committed two sins. They've forsaken me, the spring of living water. I remember as a kid, i got some folks here from Watertown today. I remember as a kid, I lived, uh, I lived just, just before you went out of town, and there was a conservation club out by the interurban track. And out by the conservation club, there was a woods, and my friends and I, we'd play there. But at the conservation club, we'd sneak under the fence, and they had, a, they had an artesian well there. That was the coldest water, and you'd sit there and drink one, one I can't imagine my hands at that time, you know, just one, one handful after another after another drinking that water. It was so good. And God says, my people have forsaken me. The what? The spring of living water. And, and, and in return, he says, they've dug their own cisterns. What, what's a cistern? Some of us may be old enough to remember or have even had the pleasure of drinking water from a cistern. Cistern collects the water off the, off the roof, and it goes into a tank, usually in the basement. Mm -hmm. mm. Not, not, not the best. And he says, you would trade the good water for drinking from a cistern? He said, and your cistern doesn't even hold water. There's a thirst that only God can meet. And the question is today, what is it that you're using to satisfy that thirst? What are you using to medicate in your life, that need of your heart that only God can fill. Because activities, sports, money, work, addiction, none of it's going to satisfy. Because God knows we need rest. And here's where my job may be on the line. <laughs> Because where I tread now is, is sacred ground for some. God knows we need rest. You see, sheep, the reason that they need to lie down is they need to chew the cud. They're, you know, they've got more than one stomach, and so they have to lie down in order to, in order to digest their food properly. 
God created us. If you're sleeping, this is a really good time to wake up. Uh, God created us with, with a need to, to rest. He created us with a need to rest, and that rest is called a Sabbath. Okay? That rest is called a Sabbath. Now, before you, before you get all squirrely on me, I'm not talking like we've got to get legalistic about a day. You know, you stop work at this time and you start work at this time and, you know, no cooking or whatever. That's not what I'm talking about. Jesus said, he, can't, he said, the Sabbath was not made for man, but man for the Sabbath. I believe that's the correct way I said it. And when it is we get legalistic, I mean, I grew up in, a, in, in, in Watertown and I remember we had blue laws back in, I don't know if you ever know what blue law, I mean, you couldn't buy gasoline on, on Sunday morning. And you, you, couldn't, you couldn't go to a restaurant. I mean, if you needed gas to go visiting relatives or whatever, you got it on Saturday night. Otherwise, you didn't get it. Otherwise, you didn't go. And I remember one of the stores in town, Strage's uh, grocery store, opened their deli on, on Sunday morning. It was like the world stopped. There was so much commotion because you're doing something on the Sabbath. Sabbath, what does it mean? What's a really good definition for Sabbath? Sabbath, let me tell you a story. I was listening to a, a preacher talk about an African explorer, a guy who was exploring Africa, and he hired a bunch of porters to carry all of his stuff. And every day, I mean, just like a taskmaster, he'd get up, eat his breakfast, and let's go. And these guys carried all of his stuff as they, as they went exploring. And one morning, he got up, had his breakfast, and the guys were all sitting by a tree. And he said, let's go. And they said, no. They said, I paid you to carry my stuff, let's go. And they said, no. He said, why? He said, today we allow our souls to catch up with our bodies. That's a really good definition of a Sabbath. A day to allow your soul to catch up with your body. Because God knows we need rest. It's not a badge of honor, guys. To work 90, 100 hours a week, and to not take a day off. Okay, I've, this is where I talk about stepping on toes. It, it's not a badge of honor if you don't take your vacation. If you don't take, you know, it, it's not. Because God says there's this nasty little commandment back in Exodus that says, you shall honor, you shall, um, you shall honor the Lord's Sabbath and keep it holy. Six days you shall work, and on the other you shall rest. God created us to need rest. God created us to need a day to allow our souls to catch up with our bodies. Because when we don't, everything else, when that, here's this what's so important. When that relationship with God is out of sync, every single other relationship in your life will be out of sync. I was typing away one time on, my, on a keyboard, uh, and I was typing away, and I was looking over here, and I looked up at the screen, and it was just nothing but gibberish. My hands were one set of keys over, and all, I was typing away for long, but it, it didn't matter because it wasn't, it wasn't right. And when your soul is not right with God, every other relationship in your life will be out of sync as well. That's why God created us to need rest. And that's why it's so important that you set aside a day, a day to rest. Because if we're getting legalistic about things, if we're getting legalistic about Sabbath day and, and when to take Sabbath, then I break the Sabbath every week because I work on Sundays every week. <laughs> 
So let's, let's just stop that. I'm saying have a day in your week where you stop the normal and you just rest. And you say, what does that look like? For Beck and I, we take Friday as, as a day off. We take as a Sabbath. We do a number of things. We will usually work out or we'll go, we'll go away. We're looking forward to, I mean, we moved in here into the fall and we're looking forward to cherry blossoms and seeing what Door County looks like and, you know, just getting to know. We usually get away. I tell the staff unashamedly, blood, death, fire is the only reason I really want to be called on, on, the, on, on Friday on my day off. And I'm glad they take that day off as well. And I pray that you honor their day off as well, Pastor Sam and the other staff that you honor their day off as well because they need it. But it's a day too where uh, we will, uh, many times we'll, uh, when we were in Minnesota, we would putter around in the yard, in the, in the garden, stuff like that. Some of you are grassaholics, okay? I grew up in a home like that where I had, I don't know, I think it's probably the German thing. Uh, my dad, the yard, and my dad will listen to this, so it's no problem. He, he knows it. Um, my dad, the yard had to look like a park. Man, there's, you, couldn't, you couldn't leave the grass around the trees. You couldn't leave the weeds laying on, on the ground. You had to pick those things up. And some of us are grassaholics. I mean, we, but we somehow we derive pressure, pleasure from cutting the grass. And, and is, that, is that wrong to do? I mean, it, it's difference between doing work to do work and to doing something that you derive pleasure from. Because some of you are saying to me now, Pastor, that isn't realistic. Because if I take a day off, then when is the other stuff going to get done? Hmm, therein lies the problem. We're working six days, and then we think, okay, on the seventh day, then I'll get all the other work done that I didn't get done at, at the house. I'll get it done at that time. And how am I going to get it done? And my theological answer for you is, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But I know this that God is faithful to obedience. See, that commandment, Billy Graham said, someone asked Billy Graham once, how many of the commands should we keep? He said, I think God meant for us to keep them all. So we got to do something with that commandment. That commandment that says to stop, to take a day of rest, to allow our souls to catch up with our bodies. You say, how's it going to happen? I don't know, but let me draw a parallel to that. Some of us have learned the, the discipline of tithing, where we take 10% of, our, of, our, of what we make. And if we want to get legalistic about things, tithe, you, you go back to the Old Testament, you want to get legalistic, it's about 37%. But the, what it comes down to is this. You give back to God what is God's. He asks for a portion of it. He asks it with a happy heart. More about that in like 10 weeks we're going to talk about that. But when you begin to tithe, you think, well, where's the money going to come from? Remember, Becca and I were sitting, we're newly married, no kids, no money, and we're, we're sitting at the table, and she came to me, and she said, uh, you know, we're talking about tithing. Um, when do you think we should begin doing this? And she worked at a bank, and she had all the figures out, and she said, if we tithe, this is how much we have left to live on. <laughs> okay, that, that's, that's pretty tight, but we could probably do that in two weeks. Oh, and this is how much we'll go to gas. It's like, 
<laughs> there's, there's nothing left. There, there's nothing left. We made the commitment that night. We said, okay, we will trust you, God. That night at the, at the college, at Crown College, that was steak night. I don't know if they do that anymore, but it was steak night. We didn't have much of anything in the cupboards, and we put together something. It was awful, but we put it together and we ate it because that's all we had. So the next day, we go to, I go to school, and my, uh, he's like my brother-in-law, comes up to me, and, and he said, he, he shakes my hand, and I could feel there was something they put in my hand. He says, just shut up and take it. He said, God told me to give it to you. Well, they were as poor as what we were. And later on, I, I opened my hand up, and it was $20. I'm thinking, oh, God, thank you, Lord. So then I went, went to school, and I, went to, uh, I worked at McIntoon's grocery store. And I was one of the managers. And old Marvin McIntoon came in, the owner of this place. And Marvin was a big man, and every, he did not need a microphone at all. Where, you knew where Marvin was all the time. And he came in and he said, let's go to the back room. So Gary, go to the back room. And he says, he looks at all the back stock and he's asking me about that. And he says, what's this? And there were boxes where, you know, when they would open up a box of Rice Krispies or whatever, instead of opening it up a proper way, they just slice it and they'd slice the tops off of the Rice Krispies or whatever. And he says, what are we going to do with all that stuff? And I said, I said well, it's just, uh, you know, probably just throw it away throw it away. He said, you're a young college student. He said, you take that home. And so I thought, oh, thank you, Lord. There's some food. So then we went back by the, back into the uh, refrigerated area. He says, what's that? I said, that's a leaker. A leaker was a bottle of milk that was leaking. And he says, what are you going to do with that? And I said, well, I'll probably take it to the deli and they'll use it in the deli. And he says, deli nothing. He says, you take that home. He says, you're a young college student. You need that at home. I'm like, oh, praise I got $20, we got groceries, and we got milk. I couldn't wait to tell Becca on the other side. So Becca's at work, and a guy comes up to her and says, hey, he, he's coming back from lunch. He says, do you like pheasant? He said, I was in South Dakota hunting. He said, I got all these pheasants sitting in my freezer. You guys, we'd never eaten pheasant before. I said, yeah, sure. You know, so we, she brought home these pheasants. She gets home, and the guy who puts the 20 bucks in my hand, his wife smokes a deer on the way home. And he calls him and says, you got to come over tomorrow. He said, we got the deer hanging up. And he said, you got to do something with this meat. He said, I don't have enough room in my freezer. I'd never eaten venison in my life. But in just that, that one day, God said, look at what I can do in one day. Will you trust me? Will you trust me with that one? I didn't know how in the world we were going to do this. And yet God said, will you trust me? I don't know how it is that you're going to work out to be able to rest one day in your, in your week. But I know that God is faithful. He is faithful to those who are obedient to what he asks of them. The question is, will you you trust him? Not can you, will you? In what area today is God saying, you don't trust me? Will you trust me in this? See, going back to the Golden Gate Bridge, the problem they had at the end was uh, not people afraid of, the, of falling, but the problem they had was people jumping purposely into the net. Now, no, no, no. I'm the worst person to take in the world to Walt Disney World. I, I just don't like that stuff. So I can't imagine jumping off the bridge, but there are knuckleheads out there that they jump off and they finally, like, don't do that. Stop that. Well, why did they jump? Because they weren't afraid. 
They weren't afraid. And there are things in our life where God is saying, stop being afraid because it's crippling you and it's taking your eyes off of me. God is saying, I need you to rest because your relationship with your wife, your relationship with your kids, your coworkers, it's out of sync. Why? Because you're not taking the time to rest. You're not taking a day to allow your soul to catch up with your body. And what is it that you're using to satisfy those longings that only God can fill? He said, if anyone's thirst, let them come to me. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. And he said, is anyone weary? Let him come unto me, and I will give him rest. The shepherd knows we need to be free of fear. We need to drink the right stuff, and he knows we need to rest. That's how much the shepherd cares for you. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word today. And thank you for the power of your word. God, you know where, where each one of us needed it today. God, you know the fears that some of us are walking with right now. Fears that you have come to conquer. And I pray that today, God, that number one, we would be able to name them. And number two, that we would be able to give them to you. And to trust you. Lord, you know what it is that we are using, medicating our souls with. God, you also know that if it is truly satisfying or not. And God, would you reveal in our lives those things that do not, that do not lead to health. Lord, for some of us, we have a relationship that needs to stop. a word that needs to be spoken in love and lovingly, would you give us courage to do that? And God, would you help us to rest? Help us to allow our souls to catch up with our bodies. God, I don't know how it's going to work. But I know that, God, you can and you will honor faithfulness when we trust you. Precious shepherd, I thank you that we can trust you because you have our absolute best in mind. Would you be honored and glorified today? And I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. May the Lord bless you with peace. May the Lord bless you with strength Strength, even in the midst of what it is you're walking through, may he bless you with his strength. And may you know, may you know the presence of your precious shepherd throughout this week. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. We'll see you next week. Lord bless you. All right.